Welcome to Minter Dialogue number 64. This interview is with Dory Clark, whom I met in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest this year. Dory has just released her new book, Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future, published with the Harvard Business Review Press. A former presidential campaign spokesman in the U.S. and a professor and lecturer at some of the most prestigious institutions, Dory is also a frequent contributor to Forbes and the HBR. In this interview, we discuss what it means to define your personal branding, how to measure it, and some of the key issues for individuals, including the CEO, to develop a personal brand within the company. Some great insights. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Mintadolic Internet Show. Today, uh, via Skype, wonderful thing that it is, I have someone who I've met through a friend at South by Southwest. We've known each other for a grand total of four months, something like this. <laughs> and so, Dory, tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Mincer, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Dory Clark. I'm the author of a new book from Harvard Business Review Press called Reinventing You, Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future. Um, I'm a marketing consultant. and I also write a lot uh, for Forbes and Harvard Business Review. Been a professor at many great schools as well. I, I do teach, yes, uh, for Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. I teach in their Global Executive MBA program. And uh, I also uh, teach for HEC Paris, the, uh, the business school over by you. We know it well. So, Dory, reinventing you um, and this idea of personal branding. In, 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 in your mind or in your book, are we talking more about individuals that are in corporations or individuals that are without corporations? Well, I think, Minter, it, it really applies um, equally well to both. Uh, essentially, the ideal audience for the book is people who fit one of two categories. One is that they may want to change careers, and they need to figure out how to, how to do that in a logical way to position themselves so that people understand and say, oh, yeah, I get it, and sort of help them along their path. The other category of people are folks who maybe you know want to stay in the same field or want to stay in their same company, but they feel like for whatever reason, their full potential isn't necessarily being recognized by others. Mm -hmm. And so reinventing you in a lot of ways is about figuring out how to get the rest of the world to really understand and appreciate what you're capable of. When, when you're in the process of reinventing yourself, to what extent is the problem actually who am I is the biggest question. Yeah, it's it's a great point. Um, ultimately, in uh, in reinventing you, I guide people through a, a process, and, and the first part of it, which you know, in, in some cases, people really do already have it figured out. They know, and you know, what they're more um, interested in or needing is information about. Well, okay, how, you know, how do I get uh, other people to uh, to grasp it? Um, you know, whether it's through social media or activities that I can do or a narrative to frame it. Um, it's about conveying that. But for many people, uh, it can be difficult to to get a good handle 
on uh, on who you are and and you know what you're really good at. We have the sort of forest for the trees phenomenon, and I, I think a lot of people overestimate it too. I mean, one of my favorite uh, examples in the book is I talked to an executive coach who told me about a client of hers, and he was a a really you know a nice guy, a, a sort of uh, you know diffident, humble guy. And yet, when she went to do the 360 interviews, talking to his peers, she got back all of these these you know sort of terrible words, you know, oh, he's haughty, he's arrogant, he doesn't respect me, he's a jerk. And she discovered that really what it was, was that he had a habit of interrupting people. And people ascribed certain meanings to it. They thought that he didn't respect their opinion. And that wasn't the case at all. But uh, it meant that it was coloring their entire perception of him. And so I think for a lot of us, there, there may be some blind spots about um, how we're really perceived and, uh, and where our strengths lie. And so Reinventing You does uh, try in the early chapters to help people uh, hone in on that. There are two, when you, you, I listened to the interview you did with Mitch, our chum Mitch from Montreal, um, you talk about the authentic you. And so there's this notion of, of finding your true self. And there's also this notion of passion. You know, mm. you follow your passion, follow your heart. How do you, how do you stand on that? <laughs> yes, it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate thing. You know, all the, all the books that, uh, that, that people buy, you know, make, uh, you know, do what you love and the and then money, money will follow flow, and all right. that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think I think that it's important and that it is great. I mean, we um, we spend huge swaths of our life uh, at work. You don't want to be miserable. That's that's a really a bottom line uh, kind of thing. I, I work enormous hours, but it's actually a pleasure for me. It doesn't feel like work because I'm getting to do a lot of cool things like, you know, do these podcasts with you and talk about interesting ideas. Um, I, what I would say is that ultimately there's there's two questions that you have to ask yourself. The first one, I think it is a good starting point, is what do I love and what am I passionate about? But the second important point, and this, this is where a lot of people fall down, where the analysis falls down, is you have to figure out um, what, what the market cares about or what the market will pay for. Yeah. If you are just doing your thing that, that, you, uh, that you enjoy, but Wash, nobody else dogs. sees value yeah. in it, it's, it's a nice hobby, yeah. but it's not going to get you too far. Mm -hmm. You've got to crack the code to see if you can get those circles to overlap. You, um, you, you, do, you teach at HSC Paris and in the States. I would be interested to hear how this could be different or how you can do branding differently in different countries. Cause you know, I know that, you know, well, you know, this whole notion of personal branding can be poo pooed even in the States, the, the land of personal branders. How do you see that concept being differently done in Europe versus in, uh, in the States, for example? Yeah. Well, the, the, fir the first thing that I always like to say when I'm dealing with European audiences is that, you know, I'm, I'm very glad uh, to, to be there talking with them. And, uh, you know, they should uh, they should feel glad that their institution has uh, has decided to, to bring in uh, an obnoxious American to teach them how to do personal branding <laughs> from whence it's, it originated. It's credible. It's credible. <laughs> because, I mean, you're, you're exactly right i mean there are many people in america who uh are, are kind of 
I think even turned off by the phraseology of uh, of personal branding because they think it it commoditizes people and it turns the you know it turns them into a uh, you know a detergent or a cereal or something like that and they say I'm not that I'm me and uh, and they fight back against it but I you know I, I like to point out that I mean ultimately we all have a personal brand. It is merely a synonym for reputation, which everybody has, and which if you are a professional, theoretically, you should be concerned about what your reputation is and whether it reflects what you would want it to be. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's some people in, in America who bristle at it. I think there's even more people in Europe that bristle at it. I mean, I gave a, a talk a couple of years ago in Switzerland, and it, like even even the idea of you know, people voluntarily putting things about themselves online mm-hmm. was just horrifying. <laughs> stay, it remains that way. But there you have these people sitting in front of you with their arms crossed and furrowed brows thinking, what on earth is this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's true. And, you know, I, I would say that um, not in any way to be a triumphalist about it, but I, I do think that there is an inevitable progression uh, that, in, you know, information is growing. Uh, it, it's, it's crowding out the notion of privacy. Mm-hmm. And even if we want to retain privacy, um, the meaning of the term is changing. I, I do think that it's important for people in Europe and elsewhere to, to get on board uh, with the idea that it is at least okay to engage in a dialogue. It's at least okay to start thinking about one's personal brand. Because if you're kind of hiding your head in the sand about it and saying, well, this is an invalid concept, then uh, it, it means you're, you're kind of rolling the dice with your future. Because ultimately, uh, if you are not taking control of your personal brand, it means people are getting it. They're getting the picture in a haphazard way. And they may get the right impression, but they may also get the wrong impression. Mm. And uh, that's a kind of dangerous risk to take. Um, Ideally, in something as important as your professional life, you would want to uh, try to do what you can to to shape that dialogue and make sure that people are uh, are understanding, you know, here's really what I'm doing now or here's really what I'm good at. Well, when you're in in the context of a company, though, I mean, some companies are are putting down policies. You can't have your own blog. They're trying to curtail your ability to take you out there. Mm -hmm. Do you you see that trend also coming down? And and how is it done differently in Europe versus the States? Yeah, I I do think that, that over time companies are not going to be able to get away with restrictive social media policies. I mean, um, as Gen Y is entering the workforce more and more, um, you know, these are folks who have grown up with with smartphones and the internet, and it's actually becoming a a hindrance in terms of talent acquisition Mm -hmm. uh, if a company has what is viewed as a retrograde uh, social media policy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can understand on one level why a company would do that. They, you know, if, if a, an employee, I mean, number one, uh, you may have a crazy employee who says weird things and it, uh, reflects badly on the brand. Another thing is maybe you have a great employee who's fantastic. And then the fact that they've put themselves out there makes that em- employee, uh, really desirable to your competitors mm-hmm. and they may get lured away. Exactly. So, you know, it, it, I understand yeah. that being said, um, this this is a world where increasingly you are not going to uh, be able to hide your light under a bushel. And uh, for companies, they um, I, I think that they need to grasp that it is a competitive advantage to be able to 
to boast of having top employees. I mean, it, it used to be that, um, you know, I, I, an employee would feel really uh, great and be able to associate themselves positively with the cloak of a company brand around them. That's still true. But I, I think more and more as individuals are able to become their own publishing companies, you know, if you're strong on social media or if you're known as an amazing blogger, it actually is a feather in the cap of the company yeah. to be associated with a really great hire that they get. I mean, you look at a company uh, where I am in Boston, HubSpot, and they have a very clear strategy of acquiring talent who have come up uh, on their own through social media, like a David Meerman Scott or a Laura Fitton, and they recruit them. And uh, people say, wow, HubSpot, they've got all these great people. Mm-hmm. I, I totally, I mean, it's sort, of, it's sort of like a Google mentality. That is to say, where you are a conduit to as opposed to a destination in itself. And yeah. and then people will come to Google because, well, we're not going to get trapped in it. We maybe it is the right route in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to talk, well, we, we talk a lot about BYOD, bring your own device. And I like to uh, refer to BYOP, bring your own person. And, yeah. and, and the reason I, you know, Mike, cause my whole spiel is about branding against personal. And so we have to yes. bring our own personality into mm-hmm. the company, not only because that's more engagement, but then uh, when branding of the company is moving out into social media and is customer facing, better to have the person speaking as opposed to some mirage of the person within yes. the organization. So bring your own personality. You, you, um, Dory, you mentioned before uh, this notion of, of your reputation. You, know, you said, well, personal branding is just a replacement for the word reputation. What is the way to understand, do you, or if I have a subtext, do you believe in clout? What is the way to measure my reputation? So (laughs) it's a great question. There's a couple of ways to answer it. Um, The first one, you know, to to take uh, the the literal high tech uh, way that that you were uh, framing it in some ways, I do think that clout and its competitors, cred and peer index, um, are a really interesting development. I, I would say that I don't think that the, uh, that the algorithms are totally there yet, um, at least for all of them. Some are better than others. But do I, I think that uh, services that, that seek to quantify uh, social impact, um, you know, social media impact, are the, the way of the future? I do. I do think that that clout and its peers are going to be important. I mean, one sort of funny thing that I do when I do a series of webinars for HSA is uh, I I lead them through and, uh, you know, sort of show them, you know, my scores on these. And and just to to kind of illustrate, I mean, I I do think that they're uh, useful and interesting and important. But on one service, they rank me with a score of 78, which is really pretty good. And another one gives me a 45. (laughs) <laughs> so I think at this point, you know, uh, pe- people are looking at different things. They're not one, one site says that I'm an expert in sports and recreation, oh, which is quite nice and flattering, but I'm not quite sure where they're getting that. Well, from. Maybe it's the um, recreation then, Dory. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I, I think that, uh, over time they will get better. And uh, over time, they will become uh, very useful. I mean, um, already, 
already, for instance, uh, there are companies in the U.S. that where I've seen that they are requesting social media uh, manager candidates who have a clout score of such and such or above. Uh, I think we'll only see more of that. But in a broad sense, how do you get a sense of your reputation? Uh, one of the things that I talk about in Reinventing You uh, is, you know, literally there's, there's a lot of old school ways to do it. Um, one is that you can do your own 360, even if you don't have uh, a coach or can't afford a coach. You can go uh, talk, talk to your friends, talk to your colleagues and say, hey, look, can I take you out for coffee? I have a serious question. I would really like um, your opinion. I'm trying to raise the bar. What are the things you think I'm good at? What are the areas where if I was really investing time over the next year, you think that I could, I could you know, have some substantial traction if I focused on them? What are three words that you would use to describe me? You know, that's, that can be pretty interesting. Um, you can, another thing that a lot of people do, but they don't necessarily do it with this lens is Google yourself, you know, hopefully regularly. So you sort of see what's going on, but, but ask yourself specifically the question, if this is the only piece of information that someone had about me, which, you know, in, in many cases it is, if you're just, you know, sending in a CV and then the first thing they do is Google you, um, what would, what would they think if that was all they knew? And that can be pretty interesting. Do you, do you think in that realm? Um, that the image tab and the video tab have equal, less, or more weight than the text tab. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There was a uh, a very well cited, and in fact, I even cited it in my book, um, 2009 study that was done by Forrester Research that showed at the time. And of course, you know, we have to keep in mind that these algorithms are constantly changing. So who knows what it is now? But at the time. Um, if you had the same uh, search term, uh, something was 53 times more likely to come up if it was a video entry as compared to a text entry. Um, video was incredibly powerful, incredibly prioritized. And uh, I, I'm not sure of the specific numbers now um, because they do change on a day-to-day -day basis. But I, I think the same principle is true. I mean, Google owns YouTube. Uh, they know that video is the future. So I think that making sure that you have a robust uh, presence on multiple uh, platforms, you know, hopefully blogging as well as podcasting as well as video, if you're able to, to do that, um, multimedia is is really important and it's easier than ever i mean you know we all have hd in our telephones mm -hmm. and so there's uh, there's not really an excuse now uh from the the cost or the technology front um where when you we talk about reinventing you and personal branding how help us help me understand how you view the difference between a brand that is a commercial entity and, and yeah. how does the branding differ when it relates to an individual? So I would say that, you know, obviously there's a lot of similarities in terms of you want to figure out, well, what are the, you know, what are the most important or most unique qualities? You know, what's, who do we want to convey that message to? What are the channels that the audience listens to and, and how do we use them? There's a lot of commonalities, but I think that the biggest difference between uh, a personal brand for an individual and the brand for a company is as follows. Um, if I am creating something uh, for a company, you know, I, I you know, at my in my day job, you know, I, I work as a marketing consultant, and so I always try to preach the gospel of you know, bring marketing in from the beginning. You know, marketing should help should help shape the product development, and you know, you don't want to just sort of slap it on afterwards, uh, and and then you know, like hey, try to sell this, but but nonetheless. Um, there, you know, despite my banging that drum, 
ultimately, if you have a product, a product kind of is what it is. And you, you take it and you, you push it out there and it's much more, um, something where you want to try to shape it to, uh, to what, what the market wants. You want to figure out, all right, well, you know, if, if the world is, you know, thinking now about, uh, reducing waste, well, you know, that's, that's the thing that I'll drive about, you know, this water, uh, this reusable water bottle or, or whatever it is. Um, you're, you're sort of adapting it more to, uh, the external. Whereas if you are an individual and we're talking about a personal brand, things can only be so malleable. Um, you want to start internally and really answer thoroughly the question that you began with mentor, which is who am I, you know, what, what am I good at? You cannot, you don't want to, and you cannot get away with positioning yourself, uh, in a way that, that is substantially different than, uh, than what the core is. And you have to, you have to start with that first rather than starting with what is the audience want. Um, I think that that's, that's really the most important thing about personal branding. And it's why um, many people think personal branding somehow uh, means, oh, you know, we have, to, we have to be a people pleaser or we have to do something inauthentic uh, so that, you know, we'll shape it to what people want. But on the contrary, it's, it's really about starting with the, the core of who you are and then saying, all right, how do we pitch it, uh, you know, to the, to the world so that they get it? Uh, but it's not about changing the fundamentals. Yeah, I guess the other, you know, going back to what you were saying before, the other challenge in that regard is still finding a market for me. So it's about yes. maybe looking at, well, I have these three qualities, actually, but only one of them is the one that, you know, is saleable. And then that's how yes. you have to reorient and repackage yourself. The other thing Yeah, was, that's exactly right. What I was thinking about, Dory, was, you know, in, in in any communication, any messaging, actually in real life, this whole notion of emotions is valuable. Yeah. And and so when I talk about branding gets personal and, of course, any type of messaging you want to do in marketing, the emotional content is important. Where does emotion sit in personal branding? Mm. Yeah, emotion is a, a really interesting question. I mean, ultimately, uh, I think most marketers would say that if you have a really good brand, a strong brand, it's one that evokes a particular emotion for you. Um, you know, you take something like, uh, you know, like, like, you know, everyone points to Nike and just do it or, or something like that. And it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's hopeful, it's optimistic, it's inspirational. And somehow we manage to get all of that from looking at a swoosh mark. I mean, it's, it's a miraculous feat that, that all of a sudden this, this little, you know, paint daub has, you know, managed to, to uh, create soaring impulses in, in much of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that uh, ideally um, what we're, what we're talking about, and this applies to personal brands as well, is you, you do want to find uh, instant ways to connect with people. And I, I think that, uh, that honestly, uh, it, this goes back to authenticity too. If you are able to really speak to people in a way that they recognize as true and relatable and something that's going to have a lot more powerful of, and, and long lasting of an impact with them. Um, there was a woman that I interviewed recently for my Forbes blog named Amanda Palmer. And 
she is somebody that, um, you know, she's not necessarily a household name, but uh, she is very well known within her circle. She is a, a musician. She's married uh, famously to the author Neil Gaiman, and uh, she has a, an incredibly loyal fan base. She actually got a lot of mainstream press because she ran a very successful Kickstarter campaign last year that raised $1.2 million mm -hmm. uh, from this loyal fan base. But over time, you know, what really sort of did it is that she um, conveyed a really sort of um, confessional, uh, very direct emotional connection with her fans. Um, it, they really felt like they knew her and they developed a community around that sense of like, hey, we're people who are sort of misunderstood by the mainstream, but we get each other. And that kind of resonance, um, that you know, people might not think of that as a brand, but she has a brand around her about um, bringing talented and misunderstood people together. And it's uh, it's extraordinarily powerful as seen, um, you know, in a quantifiable sense by the mm -hmm. Kickstarter success. Well, you know, when you look at that kind of a, a reach and that, that the, the heavy type of engagement followed by money, you would imagine that companies would want to harness that or at least, you know, attract that. At the same time, the reason why I bring it up is that most of the time when we're talking about personal branding, we go back in and we have to meet some suits in the form yep. of a CEO or a CMO or head of HR. And they are, it seems as a unit, programmed to be <laughs> rational and, and because of fears to draw back on the title on your university that you went to, the number mm -hmm. that's associated with a grade point average, uh, what, tell me what you've done as opposed to the emotional side. And so, yeah, this, this is the quandary I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, we have, we have these sort of proxies for, for credibility in, uh, in a lot of ways. And, and you're right. You know, do you, do you come from the right place? Do you have, you know, the right connections and, and that sort of thing? I, I think, I mean, my contention, Minter, is that uh, that is changing, although not necessarily as fast as one might like. But I, I think that we're really shifting from an era where what mattered most is the way that you were similar to other people, you know, the, the sort of mainstream mm -hmm. credibility and connections, to an era where what matters far more is how you're different than other people and what uh, is unique that you can bring to the table. And the challenge with that is that it, it is uh, harder because it's still evolving to be able to quantify that latter part. You know, mm -hmm. how are you different and, and what value does that bring? But, you know, we, we do have some metrics. If you have a million Twitter followers or if you have raised X amount of money on a Kickstarter campaign, those are things that, that anyone is going to be willing to pay attention to. That's, that's you know, Amanda Palmer put in a decade of Yeoman's work before that mm -hmm. uh, with engaging and building the base. But at a certain point, it flips and it says, oh, wow. There is a serious uh, way that we can quantify this and that, that she has uh, built a, a powerful base. Um, and I, I think that, that those things are, are really interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, now, you know, we're in an era of self-publishing. It's, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's the ultimate in entrepreneurship mm -hmm. where, you know, if, if you can build a base, if you really have that, uh, you know, that capacity to connect with people, 
show us. Mm -hmm. You know, mainstream publishers are, are tripping over themselves to uh, to get contracts and pick up uh, books that have been self-published and have been really successful. And so with the gatekeepers gone, uh, if you have that capacity, you can really make it happen. I, in, in another Forbes post I did recently, I profiled a guy named Mike McCallowitz that wrote a book um, called The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, which, you know, the mainstream publishers looked at it and thought, oh, my God, that sounds ridiculous. So why would we ever, you know, publish a book like this with, like, bathroom humor? And he managed to sell 20,000 copies on his own. Mm -hmm. And Penguin said, oh, uh, may we please uh, pick this up and republish it? And now they're publishing his, uh, his second book. So it's uh, it can be powerful. Well, you, I mean, makes me think about how some companies, you know, are so worried about you know letting go and and allowing you know employees to be on social media. Whereas, if you were to to ha hire a number of people that can sell twenty thousand books, what can you do for the brand and done in an intelligent way can be an extraordinary echo chamber and and relay out to the real world. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's it's a question of, of uh, being comfortable with the idea and sort of entrusting yourself mm -hmm. to brand ambassadors. All right. So our last question for you, Dory. Um, CEOs and, and top, top executives, you know, a lot of times what we're talking about maybe would be middle management who are reinventing themselves. But of course, it's entirely applicable to CEOs who, you know, come in the situation they, they've done it because their father said to or whatever yeah. what track they led to how has this conversation ever differed for you in regard to people who've made that kind of a level mm, yeah well it's it's interesting i mean i um increasingly as part of my marketing strategy consulting work i'll, I'll be brought in to uh, to do a, a marketing plan for a company, and as part of it, I think there's there's sort of a growing awareness among CEOs and top leaders that if they harness the power of personal branding well, it can be a really powerful force for good for the company's brand. And so, uh, increasingly, you know, in the past, I, I you know would just do the the marketing plan for the company. Now, uh, more and more, I'm getting inquiries in, on my consulting side to say. Okay, will you uh, do the marketing plan for the company and also work with and coach the CEO on their personal brand? Because they're, you know, they're the ultimate ambassador. They're the one that if CNBC wants to talk to somebody, that's who. Uh, if there's going to be a feature story in the New York Times or a profile in the Wall Street Journal, that's who. And so if we're able to tell that story in a powerful way and particularly to link the CEO's personal brand and story with that of the company, it's, uh, it makes it incredibly more resonant. It's, it's sort of a, uh, a positive feedback loop. And so I, I think CEOs increasingly are cognizant of that. Well, I, the challenge, just to make you think, uh, in, in dealing with a CEO as a personal brand, m most of the CEOs ultimately, of course, are not going to be the founder. So they, yes. they, some of them, of course, have come up through the ranks and have lived, breathed, and died in the wool, I should say, of the brand culture and then come to yes. the CEO. Others are parachuted in. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of, it almost sounds as false as, you know, this personal branding story when you say, oh, you know, I never even die this one year for the last six months. And th <laughs> thanks to my $3 million check or whatever, that, you know, then all of a sudden making that link. And I think that's where you get a lot of, um, well, willingness and inauthenticity where mm -hmm. certain CEOs, 
you know, are sort of rather mercurial, have great personalities, but actually, what is the real fit with the brand? And, and probably at the end there, it's not just the question about the CEO's personality, but what is the brand about? Yes. And there you can yes. get some. Yes, it's, it's absolutely true. It can be a big Yeah, I, and yeah, I mean, you're sort of raising me through the specter of like, you know, the, the, the mercenary CEO in many ways. And, uh, and I think it's an important question to ask. I would say that in almost all cases, ideally, <laughs> the CEO is taking the job for a reason that is other than money. I mean, if, if literally the board has hired a guy who all he wants is money, then you're right. There's not a lot you can or should do with that. Um, I would sort of question that hiring decision. But if you are um, a CEO of a, of a pharma company, um, presumably you are interested in that because perhaps, uh, you know, the drugs have touched the, live, uh, the lives of people that you know or in your family. Um, if you are the CEO of a, you know, I mean, even if it's an envelope company, but what you're really interested in is uh, your mission is international expansion. And they brought you in to do international expansion because you were the, uh, you know, the, the, the child of a foreign service officer and you spent your childhood uh, traveling around the world. And you have a passion for, uh, for cultures and globalization. That's an interesting story to tell, mm -hmm. even if it's in the context of your envelope company. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it, it is you know, sort of peeling back the layers to the place where um, you know, the mission yeah. is connecting. Mm, that's cool. Dory, lovely. Well, listen, reinventing you. Uh, we talked just before uh, going live that uh, you were going to uh, give an offer out for a book. What, what, how's that offer look like? Well, thank you, Minter. Yes. So uh, for, for any of our listeners out there, the first person who sends out a tweet uh, to, to both Minter and myself uh, and says, you know, hey, listen to your <laughs> podcast, will receive a free copy of Reinventing You. We'll, we'll get in touch. You can DM me your address and we'll, we'll send it out. My uh, Twitter handle is at Dory Clark, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. And Minter, your Twitter handle for, for the masses is? M-Dial. M as in Minter, D I A L. There we go. And so, uh, uh, how else can people buy your book? Uh, and what are the, what's your channel for that? Thank you. So, my book is Reinventing You Define Your Brand, Imagine Your Future. Uh, you can get it online at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you can get it at, uh, at many uh, fantastic real world establishments with fine taste. And does, uh, is there any plan for a French version? We've actually just sold the very first international rights. Uh, Reinventing You is coming out in Thai. <laughs> so for any Thai speakers, you're in luck. Um, Francophones, soon, I hope, we're working on it. We'll keep you posted. Um, you, can, uh, you can check out my website, doryclark.com, sign up for my e-newsletter, and if so, I'll be sure to let you know if we have a French copy in the works. All right, well, spend it. Dory, I'll put all the links to the different articles that you mentioned in the uh, in conversation lovely to have you on the show great to see and connect with you again and uh, we'll keep on reinventing Minter thank you so much for having me thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show you'll find the show notes on themindset.com where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe if you like the show please rate it in iTunes and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out in the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. I'm a
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.